Hello, my name is Michael Garrick, and this is Popping Culture. My guest today is a creative consultant, a voice actor, a great comedian, William Woody. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast, man. Thanks for having me, Michael. Uh, no problem. Um, we're going to be talking about superheroes, um, ad, ad, adaptations, sorry. Um, but whenever I have comedians on, uh, before we get into topic, every, whenever I have comedians on, I like to ask, um, a lot of people like to focus on bombing, but I'm more focused on seceding. So when was the first time you killed and how did it feel? That's an interesting question. Nobody's ever gone from that angle for me. Yeah. Uh, and the first time I did stand up, the audience was generous. I, I don't think I would say I killed, but I, I did, um, I, I did relatively well. Um, and, and that was definitely enough for me to keep, keep returning. If I had, uh, had I bombed, I think I might've been scared off by it pretty quickly, but I'm, I've certainly bombed plenty of times since then. Um, Pretty much any time, if I've got a crowd of, say, 30 or more, I generally feel pretty secure because my, I'm not much of an improviser. Most of my material is very scripted, and if I've got a big enough crowd, it'll be tested stuff. So I, I have a degree of um, reliability with when, okay, the audience is going to respond this way to this or that, that way that. I know course there are surprises and it's fun to react um to it but and honestly it's it's kind of fun a friend of mine put it um the written material shows that the comment that a comedian is a good writer how the comedian acts in the room to a, a joke not landing or something going one way or another how he responds to the environment shows that he's a funny person as, as opposed to just a funny writer and it's really just not fair the way responding to something in the room is one in my experience and just observation 100 percent of the time the better thing to do than focus on the written material because it's just the audience just appreciates the immediacy of that um pretty automatically way more than they're gonna would do with a scripted thing but um if uh yeah, if I'm if I'm dealing with a crowd of you know twenty to thirty or more, I'm I'm generally pretty comfortable and pretty confident that I'm going to land. If it's under that, it's usually okay. Uh, this is a crowd work night. I'm going to talk to people in the audience, and certainly when it gets to under ten, it's just, the material is not going to land for me because I, I don't know what it is. The smaller the audience gets, the the more they can detect the insincerity. They can see the falsehood that i've said this before that i'm that i don't mean what i'm saying and that i'm not like making eye contact and engaging them directly i think i've gone completely off the rails with the question you asked but it's, it's, it's all good it's, it's all good um for someone that's not a comedian how would you explain bad crowd work Ooh. um bad crowd work uh and obviously you don't want to offend anybody in the crowd but i'm reminded of a buddy of mine he uh, a friend of mine tyler green that used to do stand up 
and a buddy and another friend of mine, Marty Simpson, who still does, once had an argument that uh, Simpson was arguing that uh, whatever gets the most laughs from the from the biggest crowd, well, the nuts. That's the best comedian, objectively. And Tyler took uh, took issue to that because, like, okay, if that's the case, then Jeff Dunham is automatically the best comedy comedian in the world. But Tyler is not really a fan of Jeff Jeff Dunham. He's, his humor tends to be kind of obvious and on hanging on the low hanging fruit. Um, but I, I think crowd work tends to it needs to be something that can connect immediately. So it tends to be it needs to be something that's quickly observable. Uh, I used to, the more I do it, the more I'm recognizing people are just kind of, sometimes people laugh at just my voice to begin with. And you, you the other day observed that I'm like a Disney villain. And uh, that, that has been tracking really well for me, but um, it's gotta be relatively, if you're doing crowd work, you kind of got to deal with the obvious, whatever the elephant in the room is, you need to address something is odd about you. I think you need to own it, whatever it is. If you've got, you know, a facial disfigurement. I remember when I was in San Antonio, there was, there was a, um, a veteran who had uh, survived some terrible explosion when he was over in Afghanistan. And so, and he was, just burnt horribly, but he, uh, and he, but I know a solid, you know, five to six minutes of material dealt with his appearance. And I, I think if something is obvious about you, if you're extremely anything, if, if anything is just odd about you, you do whatever you've got to do to own it. Otherwise the audience is not going to, um, that's just going to be kind of an itch in their mind that, okay, what's going on with X about this person and why are they ignoring it? Where if you address it immediately, it's sort of, it, it lets the audience know that you're comfortable in your own skin. I remember watching a movie, Robert Downey Jr. I think he was playing Charlie Chaplin and somebody told him comedy is knowing who you are and where you come from. So if there's something very distinctive about you, the way that you're an outlier immediately to the audience, something you need to address. And then, um, just calling back to earlier stuff is pretty automatically helpful. If some if they laughed at something before, even just mentioning a mentioning a word from a joke that was said before tends to uh, do better. Um, I think some of the worst crowd work is stuff that where the the comedian blames the audience for the for his own the fact that they're not responding to his material. Whenever I've seen a comedian just blame the audience or get angry that they're not laughing. I remember I was at a, a show once and somebody was, he asked the audience for suggestions for stuff to make fun of. And somebody, I think it was, it was around Halloween. So he was asking what people were dressing up as. And maybe one person said green man, which is, I think that's always sunny in Philadelphia. Charlie Day wears this, wears this kind of green screen outfit, which and if you know that, you could do something with it. But he was, this comedian was confused by, well, what is that? I don't know what that is. And he couldn't really go anywhere with it. And then he was, I think he, it was an open mic thing. So he came back on later and was like, 
I'm just really disappointed that nobody had a, you know, haven't had any more Halloween costume suggestions. Oh, what do you want the audience to do? Do you think, do you think chastising them is going to get them more talkative? I don't know. Uh, yeah. I think the worst crowd. What do you think? Oh, the worst crowd worst experience I've ever had was, uh, was, um, I'll never forget it. Like, as long as I live, I'll never read this. Um, the worst crowd we had was, uh, hey, uh, and this is early on. I remember it, it was something like a topic. It was something like they, they were throwing out topics. And I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll discuss any topic. It doesn't matter. And uh, somebody screamed out rape. And I was like, rape isn't funny. Like, there's nothing funny about rape. Like, I got mad serious. And, like, I got overly serious. And then, like, well, I don't want to say overly serious, but like for a comedy show, I got overly serious. And I was just like, hey, bro, like, don't don't ever like bring up rape. Like, there's nothing funny in rape. And like, I went on for like, you know, you beat a dead horse. I went on for maybe two minutes about why you should never, why right, rape isn't funny. And then, like, I had to like transfer back to my set. And it was, it took a long time to get like from like preaching, I guess, on stage to actually like, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to be funny right now. Like, I don't know, you know. So that was the only bad crowd work experience I had where I, I just, I went full, like, yeah, pretty much preaching, like, really, like, hey, bro, it's nothing funny about this. Like, I don't know why you would say that. And I, when it hit me, like, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to be telling jokes. Um, you know, it was hard to get, it was hard to come back full circle. So, yeah, that sounds awful. I think, and that audience member threw you a landmine. I, I would, yeah, I, I... I think the best move in that case, or the move I would make in that case, which may or may not be the best, is uh, just addressing the fact that the audience member address the bad will that the audience member has used by trying to get you to go into that place. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> just you know, say something to the effect of, "I know that trick." Anybody got any other suggestions? <laughs> Yeah, I, I, didn't, um, I just didn't know. I didn't know the route to go. Like, the only thing I was yeah, thinking it, that I could have said was, like, did you mean prison rape? Because apparently people laugh at prison rape. So I just, I was like, it was to me. But, you know. Yeah, that, it doesn't sound like there are not many um, safe routes out of a suggestion like that. How often do you play that card where you ask the audience for suggestions? Or was that the last time? That was the last time, bro. That's an ace that I don't need. That was <laughs> this was early on in comedy. Like this was super early. Like, this is four years ago, four or five years ago. I have never made that mistake again. All my questions, all my crowd work questions, I already have answers. Right. Yeah. If I yeah, it seems like the best thing to do in that case would just be to you've got to turn it on the guy because you're the one with the microphone and he's the one who suggests you make rape jokes. So I, I would say, yeah, if you ever try that again and ask ask for suggestions and somebody says something horrendous, then just be like, okay, I'm going to talk about how this guy is a horrible person. Yeah. Uh, and because I mean, he probably turned a fair portion of the audience against himself by even suggesting that. This was a man, I'm, I assume. Yeah. <laughs> it, was a, it was like a five foot seven Asian fella. And it just... I I I remember, I remember his face. I'll never get his face. Like he tried to talk to me afterwards. Like I like I, he just said, "Man, I'm so sorry, bro. I didn't mean it must be said." And like you know, and and I you know I accept his apology. It was just more like, and 
you know, it's just it's just me. You know, I'm not one of those comedians like you can never make. Well, I guess I did say it was like nothing funny about rape. I've learned and learned on like I don't find anything about funny about rape. I'm also not the greatest comedian in the world. Some people can, some some people can pull it off, and it's it's amazing. Like when Dave Chappelle did it, it was mind blowing. But I, you know, I I'm just not that good. You know, I I don't I'm not familiar. I don't. So Dave Chappelle's got a rape joke or something that that worked. It it, it wasn't because. It's you have to like uh you have to catch in one of his specials. Yeah, I, mean, I don't I can't remember the exact drug well like him being like, Oh, you're you know, he's rape, you know, he raping somebody. It was just uh, I believe it was something dealing with Bill Cosby. Okay. So even in that case, it's probably more a joke of it's making fun of Bill Cosby more than like the the institution of rape. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's I wish I wish I could remember it, but like I'm like I, said, I just couldn't. When it, it, I mean, we don't need to digress into that for for this. I mean, it's uh, if you find the link, I'll uh, look at it later. But um, cool. All right, it's one of the Netflix specials, but um, <laughs> I, it, it was I. You're right. We don't need to deep dive. I was just like, how did we get here? That's why I was laughing. Like, how did we? Um, cool. So you chose superhero uh, adaptations. Am I pronouncing it right? Adaptations? No, I'm not pronouncing it right. Can you pronounce it? Uh, adaptations. Adaptation. Thank you so much, buddy. This is what public school does to you. Um, <laughs> it's kind so, of a white people word. No, no, no. I no. I even that people might say that. No, I even people say that. Like, no, it's just it just means you're educated, uh, <laughs> and and I need yeah, to do please, better. I'll, I'll, <laughs> say it again yeah um, yeah we'll uh i'm gonna go on and play i want that cut from the podcast <laughs> realizing that's a horrendous thing to say that i i don't need that on my i don't need that out there any further than whoever whatever twitch streamers are watching this live i apologize <laughs> <laughs> so any special reason why you chose this topic oh i guess we're just thinking of things that i could about you mentioned pop culture and whatnot and uh there in the um uh in that moment i was like well it would help them make a decision and uh so that's uh and something i'm relatively you know, i've seen a lot of superhero movies i think a lot of us have um so i it seems like it'd be an easy subject to um kind of go on and on about which is what we need to do, to do if we're talking for half an hour, 45 minutes. Uh, cool. Um, so I'll let you start off, actually. I'm actually interested in hearing uh, what's your least favorite superhero uh, adaptation? At, God, man, this is so embarrassing. Okay. You know what I'm trying to say. What's your least favorite? Oh. Well, um, I, I think the movie, the movie we're going to review later is pretty low on my list. I've got, I'll, I'll save some of my reasons for that for when we, when we get into that in, in earnest at the end. Um, uh, from the MCU, I think probably one of its low points for me would be Captain Marvel. Um, now, oh, man. that character specifically, yeah, well, 
I'll say that character specifically is not one I ever followed. Uh, I didn't, um, I, I never had an action figure of the male or female version of that character, which I understand is just somebody that it was like the Shazam character from DC used to be called Captain Marvel, but they let the copyright lapse and Marvel was like, we can't have our competitor have a character whose name is us. So the Marvel promptly invented the Captain Marvel character so they could, uh, you know, keep that, uh, keep their stake in that claim. Uh, but uh, there was a, a director, Howard Hawks, that Gene Siskel once asked what a great movie was. And Sisk and Hawks' answer was three good scenes and no bad ones. So you've got the reasons the movie exists, the uh, sort of the best like the scenes you remember from the movie. And then there are no, and then there are no scenes that just implode uh, logically on it. And coming out of Captain Marvel, I thought to myself, what were, you know, a, a period of time after I saw it, I thought, okay, that is a movie with no bad scenes and no good ones. The, it, it's competent. It, 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 um, it accomplishes everything it set out to do, but it didn't really, uh, I don't think it got anywhere excellent. It, uh, it did not, none of the action was particularly inventive. None of the dialogue really did anything new. It, I, I, the screenwriting felt like it was done by committee rather than a person. Um, uh, the thing with the cat, and the movie's set in 1995. The fact that something was going to be weird about the cat in that movie was so telegraphed that I actually received a telegraph when I was 10 years old in 1995 saying 23 years from now, a movie's going to come out that has a weird cat in it. Um, I, I, just, I didn't think it handled anything particularly new. Ultimately, I came out of it and thought, yep, that was a movie. It's just very forgettable. There, uh, I... Kind of, I don't know if you've ever seen. Um, I always get the there's manga and the movie which flip the title, Battle Angel Alita or Alita Battle Angel, whichever the movie version of that was. Um, I felt like that movie had good scenes and bad ones. So like there were, you know, there were scenes that just went on and on where exposition was just vomited by characters forever, and scenes that were, you know, just not great. But it also had some very inventive action and very, um, uh, it, it took risks. And I really appreciated the inventiveness of it. So even though it was flawed, I think in ways Captain Marvel wasn't, uh, Alita was just automatically more interesting to me because it, uh, I just enjoyed what it did more. It, it showed me things that I hadn't seen uh done in any other movies where Captain Marvel was more just flying around with Zappo hands and kind of routine. Thank you for, thank you for sharing that, man. That was very passionate. Uh, yeah, that was, that was great, man. Um, I want to take it back. Uh, do you remember, um, well, you're just a little bit older than me, but like I did a little research and do you, or not remember, do you recall ever hearing about 
old serials. This is when stuff was in black and white. People would go to the movie theater and it would be like a good 10 minute episode. And it would come out like every Friday and Saturday, kids would go watch it. But they would have like superhero serials. It was like a black and white uh, Superman. They would have Zorro. And uh, that was kind of like the first like really superhero like, um, you know, film or well, you know, whatever live action. And they had like the little whatever fake costumes whatever and uh i got to see one episode on youtube and it just it's crazy to see like what they did back then it looks like a horribly edited youtube video in black and white so it's just crazy to see how they started there and we are where we are now um a lot of people give jewel schumacher a hard time for his batman um movie uh is that one that you kind of liked or do you see why people dislike it uh when i was a kid i remember enjoying batman forever um i think even at 12 or whatever age i was when the second one came around i thought uh or when you know batman and robin came around i thought yeah this is i like it because i like batman but this movie is kind of a train wreck and and the older i've gotten i watched them and it's, you know, this is not, um, is not good but I, honestly batman himself has i mean he's just changed so much over the decades like it's almost like with each passing generation people have found ways to improve him like when when he originally showed up in the comics yeah. uh he drove around in bruce wayne's car and until somebody i, I don't know one of the higher up breaths he's not just driving around in bruce Wayne's is he and so that was what gave birth to the batmobile because obviously he can't just run around with bruce Wayne's license plates behind him uh and i think in the early comics he also went around shooting people just had a handgun and would murder people and then you know uh this is a children's comic book we can't have people getting shot and murdered and they had to come up with a reason for that to happen so they had so his reason for that was parents were shot in front of him, and so now that's why that's a rule he won't cross. Um, I mean, we're talking about a character who uh, came into being because Bob Kane drew bad ears on Zorro, uh, and is I-, I think kind of pretty well peaked with uh, what Christopher Nolan did with the character. Um, and w- when you go back and read like the origin of He's uh, Harvey Dent is in court. Somebody throws acid on half of his face, and he goes home and knife one side of a quarter, and then goes around and starts flipping a coin and killing people. And I think we can all relate to that. And just over the decades, screenwriters and different adaptations have had the opportunity to make Batman into a much better character than he ever deserved to be. I mean, when you think about this, the man dressed with that, that's punching people that really shouldn't be as compelling as he is, but it, it's, it's just the age of the thing. It got into our souls before we had standards. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure that if, I, I imagine if anybody was 35 when Bob Kane created Batman and started reading the story, what would have this is awful. What? What? But I think for for us that you know grew up 
seeing the, the movies when we were, you know, kids, but seeing the cartoons and toys and being surrounded by it, that sort of iconography got into it in a way that it, um, it's just kind of unfair. Uh, I, I think about Transformers, which is just the most soulless, uh, capitalist cash grab. I mean, it, I, you think, because uh, I'm, we're not even talking about one we're uh we're not talking there's no human element to it we're talking about alien robots that turn into cars that's so far from anything that makes sense but i back in the you know the 80s when the reagan administration decriminalized or deregulated they made it legal for you to make cartoons that exist specifically to sell toys to children like that's why before the '80s, the coolest cartoon you'll see is like Winnie the Pooh, and then you know the Reagan times hit, and we get like the you know the more cartoony GI Joe, Transformers, He Man, and just these to- these shows that exist purely to introduce a new character each episode, and the primary conflict of each episode is you don't own him yet, uh, and it's. Um, and you, you you look at these old cartoons, these things they're based on, and they're just soulless and awful. Uh, but it's it, like my older brothers liked it, and I, I got into it when I was young, and it, it doesn't matter. I'm still I'm curious to see what they do next. The last, gosh, the last Transformers movie is so just awful to me. I, I, I loved the first three, but the more they, they went on, it was just... I think the last one, I, the one before Bumblebee, it was like, they're not even making this for Americans anymore. <laughs> I don't think no. Um, no. they sell so well in China, but I, I don't know. I don't know what kind of cultural narrative standards China has, but it's just something that is very difficult for me to pay attention to. And Bumblebee was another one where I thought, okay, that's a scene with, that's a movie with no good, no bad ones. Oh, that was, it was competent, but not excellent. Um, it's. I appreciate the difficulty that these uh, massively wealthy studios are in when they try to make these simple pictures, because everybody wants to be surprised. Which means even the people who are familiar with the source material want to be surprised. Which means you can't do exactly what the source material did, or you have to do it in a way that is different from how the source material did it, because of her. For instance, I think, I'm pretty sure Hawkeye died in the comics. So when a friend of mine and I were went, went to uh, Age of Ultron, it struck, my friend was like, ah, Hawkeye died in the comics, and they gave him the, the unfinished floor in the living room or whatever. The, all this stuff, it sounded like, oh, he only has one thing left to accomplish, and then he can die. Uh, and then they did the same thing with uh, Endgame, where it looks like uh, one of the two, he or... Charlotte uh, or um, Scarlett Johansson, uh, Black Widow is going to die, but both times they keep Hawkeye alive in favor of the character that they kill. Which uh, it's it's like they they use the fact that those familiar with the comic expected Hawkeye to die as a red herring, so they can bait and switch and kill somebody else to keep that character alive. Um, and Captain Marvel, similarly, I can't remember who is bad in the comics versus the movies, but in the Whatever it is with the scroll and the Cree, I think in the comics the scroll are bad guys and the Cree are good guys. 
but the movie Captain Marvel, perhaps arguably the most uh, inventive thing that it did was kind of a, it used that to play on xenophobia by making the scroll the good guys where the Kree are the bad guys. Um, I don't know. I've been talking for a while. No, that's totally fine. Uh, can we both agree, though? Um, out of anything they did, Marvel did, thank God they didn't stick with uh, Hawkeye's real costume. Uh, and it definitely wouldn't have made sense. I mean, for me, I am always going to these movies because, or, or part of me is always looking forward to seeing the character that I saw in the cartoons or I had the action figure of. Um, so, I, yeah, I realize it doesn't make a lick of reality and it's kind of a purple knockoff of Wolverine, but I still would have loved to have seen him wear it, even as, as stupid as it is. It was a good choice of not to put it in there. I think you and I were both talking about how um, uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, like, all right, it looks like it does in the comics, but uh, the Falcon costume just does not look good in real life. It, um, I, I don't know, something about that sock style cap, sort of like Gambit wore in the comics. Maybe the fact that it was white, too, just not, it's like sort of transparent, so you can see the actor's skin through it. It just really is not a good, just, just keep the goggles and lose the sock cap because it really is just odd looking. Um, but I was disappointed in the Incredible Hulk when we uh, when we didn't see, you know, in the cartoon of that, the abomination looks like uh, the creature from what the Black Lagoon on steroids. He's got the little kind of fish spiky ears, and in the movies, he just looks like something from Resident Evil went to the gym, which 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 works. It, it's a, it it makes sense, but it's just it doesn't look like what I wanted to. See. And in the X-Men movies, they keep kind of, at the very end of some of them, they'll, they won't commit to it for a full movie. But like at the end of X-Men Apocalypse, Cyclops, finally, he's got like the weird Y straps across himself and the really goofy looking visor. And then at the end of X-Men First Class, Magneto wears the just fire engine red with purple trim helmet and the little spikes on the front that don't do anything. Um where most of the movies he's just wearing this kind of muted kind of brown maroon uh so yes it uh it was probably it, they made the right choice by not having hawkeye wear the thing he wore in the comics but my for my introduction to hawkeye as a kid was this uh arcade game captain america and the avengers where hawkeye wore the the goofy costume and I was excited, like uh, WandaVision introduced uh, white supremacist vision, which is the one that I, you know, grew up seeing where he's just all white, uh, <laughs> where he, he looks like some sort of a, a uh, you know, just, just your, or looks like he came out of the Ku Klux Klan meeting or something, which was not what I ever saw in him, but just a... Uh, uh, whenever a character isn't all white, I fear I fear that is a uh, that is a landmine that must be sighted. No, that's a, it's a white tower. No, it's just color. Um, although I, I wish Evil Vision's 
eyes stayed blue because I thought they were cooler before he made that transition. Yeah. Um, why do you believe that sidekicks don't work in live action? Why do I think that sidekicks don't work in live action? Um, or if they have, when have you seen them work? Well, so I think there's, whenever you split the hero, when the, the main character becomes a handful of main characters, uh, there's this sort of rule that the hero needs to win on account of whatever it is that separates him from any other characters. So in the case of a superhero movie, it's going to be whatever his powers are. So he's got to use that to, um, to his advantage or he's going to use whatever his powers are, where in the, so, so I think I can, or I think the best thing I can do is, is just what happens when you split it further than two. Uh, so in like the early 2000s, X-Men, Fantastic Four, and the, the second Fantastic Four, each of them, when, the, when it came time to solve the problem, to beat the villain, uh, we got to do, you know, you, you've got to have all, you've got to have everybody in the team involved in the victory. So, and because I, who knows which favorite character might, you know, which audience might like Wolverine or Storm better or whatever. So that means the characters have to kind of all contribute to this machine made out of superheroes at the end to solve the problem. Like in X-Men 1, uh, Storm makes a tornado around Wolverine and Jean Grey has to stabilize him. And Rogue is inside of Mac Magneto's machine getting the power sucked out of her. And Cyclops has to blast Magneto with the laser beams that come out of his eyes while Wolverine chops up the machine. Or, uh, or Fantastic Four where, uh, what is it? The, um, Human Torch. Uh, gets as hot as he can and spins around Dr. Doom and uh, Invisible Girl puts a dome over it. The thing kicks a fire hydrant and Mr. Fantastic channels the water from the fire hydrant onto Dr. Doom. It's just a very awkward and kind of unsatisfying interaction to see. And uh, I think it's generally more fun to just put all the like have one character be the forefront. I think I thought Avengers, the, the first one, did a good job at sidestepping that problem by just make Iron Man the hero, make him the one that has to do the riskiest, arguably thing in the movie, rather than have you know the Hulk lift something up and Captain America's shield flies through and hits the button and have everybody just do something to contribute to one action. So I guess the sidekick, I mean, he's just generally is less cool than the hero. And he's going to ultimately kind of either become a stakes character or be a liability. I'm not. Uh, I think that's the best answer I got for right now. Why do you think it generally doesn't work? Um, it's just that uh, um, Universal, uh, one example, has uh, this deal where Hulk has to be the main character. I mean, Hulk um, can't have a solo movie, but he can be used as like a second main character, 
which if you notice when they use Hulk in movies, uh, they do it very well. Like he doesn't feel like a sidekick. He's always used as like a um, another main character. And I think that works when there's two main characters, but to have like um, Bucky literally be Captain America's sidekick, it doesn't work unless they're like friends. It can't, you know, it wouldn't, it doesn't really have the same reaction if you had Batman and Robin live action. It really, it becomes very campy in a sense, in my opinion. Right. Well, and so with, with that dynamic, I, I think Batman is just intrinsically a far more interesting character than Robin, who kind of feels more like a rehash of Batman, where Robin is just kind of there to become a liability ultimately and have the villain threaten him uh, where Bucky, you know, at least is, is arguably as strong as Captain America and is, is going to be able to handle himself. But I mean, both of them have are similar enough in what they can do. I mean, they're both just strong and one of them has a shield. It doesn't really, I, I don't know that it adds much uh, to the dynamic to have two of them. Uh, oh, and Gosh, we're, uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Were, were you aggravated at the fact that all these characters are able to just, or like, um, that Sam is able to just throw throw the shield toe to toe with Bucky at all because he did a few push ups, even though he hasn't done any of the Super Soldier serum? Like, it felt really frustrating to me that he appears to be just as strong as Steve Rogers, even though he hasn't. You know, he hasn't had any steroid injections like anybody else who's thrown the shield. When when Iron Man learned how to fly in two days, everything else became cool. Okay, I can. Uh, yeah, I can see. Yeah, there's a consistency issue potentially with that. Um, when it comes to groups uh, we've seen that in marvel uh we've actually uh, i don't know if it counts for you but we've seen it with um the universal monsters when it comes to these uh ways that they mix and mingle uh even going back to like cowboys and indians and uh many other different um genres of entertainment when it comes to them switching from uh adaptation uh when you feel, have you ever seen them switch a character so much that it still worked, but it surprised you? Change the character so much that it still worked, but it surprised me. Uh, well, is there an example of that you can list where that the answer is yes for you? Uh, and well, this is gonna sound, this is gonna sound mad corny, but I was one of the few people that really enjoyed the Spider-Man musical. Okay, uh, the uh, turn off the dark that one. Yeah, yeah, I was sad okay. that everybody kept getting hurt, but like, like musical wise, it was a nice musical. Even with the Wizard of Oz, um, it's not called the Wizard of Oz. It's called ah, uh, oh man, not the Wiz. It's the one um, where they talk about the Wicked Witch. It's the one about Wicked. the Wicked. Wicked, thank you so much. Wicked, I, I definitely enjoy Wicked. Uh, when you see those, when they you know, just slide into a new genre, new adaptation. God, adaptation. God, why is this so hard? This is this is like when I realized I couldn't pronounce uh, S-N-W, S-N-O-W. Like, I just say stole. 
Like I can't pronounce that word for nothing. So I guess this is one of those words. Um, I'm sorry to do that to you. I would have. Uh, <laughs> no, it's, it's fine. No, it's, it's fine. My my fiance is gonna watch this and laugh harder than everybody else. Um, <laughs> but yeah, how do you feel about when they do do different genres and it just surprises you? Like you love it. Oh, I I know. I I'm up for I'm up for that. If it's uh, like I, I really enjoyed the um, uh, the Modoc series on Hulu. There's a gosh, there's one cold open where he, that involves like he's got a portal to Asgard that he's throwing garbage into and he's also got another portal in a trash can to his stomach and he's just chug like this this bit with that and, and vomiting which is just hysterical i'm i have no problem accepting a tonal change or a, kind of a, a parody version of the thing it's um you know as long as it doesn't happen in a so and i haven't seen spider-man turn off the dark but I mean, I, I would have been up for it. I would have liked to have gone to have seen it. Um, and and if that's if I'm going into that with the expectation of that to happen, then, then I don't have a problem with that. If uh, if Spider Man No Way Home has six musical numbers in it, then I'll feel like okay, we've kind of jumped the shark here. This is not what I paid to see. Um, yeah, as long as it's staying in in or you know, I know or. I think to a degree I could probably enjoy something for what it is. I'm, but um, I would also be kind of annoyed, like, you know, I want more of a serious take with this. Uh, and I, that, that's part of the, I, I think the hardship with doing any kind of an adaptation is what are the audience's expectations? That, you know, when we go to a Spider-Man movie, we we know Spider-Man's going to win, or if he doesn't, there's going to be a sequel where he does, or um, we, we want certain uh, boxes to be checked off. Uh, I have twin uh, half-sisters, Ava and Jenna, and Jenna was really into Spider-Man stuff where Ava was not. And uh, we were all watching... Uh, Spider-Man Far From Home together, the one with Mysterio in it. And uh, Jenna and I were, and we knew Mysterio was going to be a bad guy somehow. I was I was kind of worried that they were going to do a General Zod thing with him where it was like, oh, he's from another dimension and to save his own reality he has, he has to destroy ours. Um, but I, I was glad that they took the angle that they did um, but when, uh, when Peter starts to hand Mysterio the glasses, my stepmother is like, is he bad? And as soon as that started to happen, my uh, the Ava, the sister that was not familiar with the character, it's like, if he is, I'm going to be mad. And and the rest of the night, she just kept saying, frickin' Mysterio. Um, so I, I, thought, uh, I thought Far From Home did a very good job with that of... Uh, surprising of surprising both the initiated and the uninitiated with the fact that this okay i i know he's going to be bad the what is not the surprising element it's the it's the how and ultimately i i, I thought mysterio was one of the more absurdly drawn characters and i was i was kind of scared that they were going to tone him down the way he looked and the presentation of it but they actually 
and they leaned into it. And I was excited to see that and him. He just looked identical to the way he was drawn to me. I mean, they added armor on his chest and stuff. That I thought only increased the look of the character. I was very, and then just his personality being so, such a bitter and petty guy. I, I loved um so I thought that was that was handled pretty well. I and I think Marvel has done so well with this is the tiebacks to and a lot of villains are villains because of Iron Man. Um Hammer uh was a villain because of Iron Man, Mysterio became a villain because of Iron Man. A lot of like it shows that like as much as we all enjoy Iron Man, we all have to remember like it was a point where this guy was not a good person and it's not like you just they just don't throw it away like like they don't act like okay he's good now life is good like no he created some super villains and like you know that is something that they that they pulled and i think that was good to throw in right what i loved with mysterio it wasn't even that he that iron man was a bad guy mysterio was just mad because he called my work barf he was so, his reason was so trivial that he was mad <laughs> um, that I, I thought really fit well with that, um, with that vein. And I was, um, I also, I've never thought the Vulture was a very uh, interesting character. I think Spider-Man, a lot of his villains have the problem of trumping each other like, oh, the lizard has one tail. Okay, well, Dr. Octopus has four tails. Why would I be scared of the lizard? Um, where the vulture can fly, well, Green Goblin can fly and throw grenades. So it's just why, and vulture, I never thought, I never thought that character was drawn very, never had much menace to him, but I, I, I liked the way they, they gave him kind of this cool helmet, but they gave him the flight jacket with the, the feather or the, the fur that looked kind of like paid homage to the way he was drawn, but at the same time made him, you know, assign some menace to him in a, in a good way. And I also was, I liked the track, the sort of meta track they've taken with the casting with the Spider-Man movies. And of course, Michael Keaton was demanded to be the vulture because he did that Birdman movie a few years before. But Birdman was about, you know, a guy who used to play a superhero in the past. I'm assuming Michael Keaton got because of his Batman roles. He got, he clearly was making when when Keaton was channeling the Birdman character, he was obviously poking fun at Christian Bale by doing the, the really gravelly uh, sort of bare voice that Christian Bale did in those movies. And then I think I, I believe Jake Gyllenhaal was in line to play Spider-Man pretty yeah he not was. far behind so fire. Uh, and so they cast them, you know, picked him for Mysterio. I'm not sure if the next one, I don't know if it's going to be introduced to anybody new, but um, I, um, I'm i worried that Sony is chasing its own tail with the Spider-Verse thing, and maybe I'm, I'm hoping No Way Home is good, but uh, I, I'm, I am scared about it, just putting trying to put too much on its plate. I, I think as long as they stick with Marvel, they'll do fine. Uh, once they stop taking Marvel's advice, I think that's when it goes downhill. But as long as Marvel has a shared interest 
and like them seceding because only thing they get is like 50% or like 75% of ticket sales. Marvel, Marvel still gets every toy they sell go straight to Marvel. Like Marvel still has a vested interest. It's just the fact that they just don't get all of the movie money. And so as long as they keep listening to um, Faggy, uh, they should be doing fine. Um, in the beginning of the podcast, actually, what was your least favorite? Can you tell us your uh, most favorite? Oh, you're the one you hate, the the one that you hate the most. Can you tell us the one you uh, love the most or like the most? Uh, so uh, probably Iron Man 3. Um, that one, a lot of people gave it flack and like a lot of the diehard fans really didn't like the send-up they did with Mandarin character with that. Uh, I never really as a kid cared that much for the Mandarin character. I thought he was... I don't know, Iron Man's this, you know, super techie guy in a suit of armor, and he's fighting this dude with green skin who has rings that match out of them. I, he didn't, he just doesn't really feel very well suited to Iron Man. He looks more like an actor strange villain to me. Um, but uh, there was a movie a handful of years before Iron Man 1 came out called Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. I don't know if you've seen it, yeah, I've seen but... Um, it, uh, the writer-director of that, Shane Black, uh, just the dialogue is so snappy and all that that I was, once that, once I learned that Robert Downey Jr. was cast for Iron Man, I was so thrilled because I loved Kiss Kiss Bang Bang so much. And then I saw that Shane Black, that guy, the guy who directed and wrote Kiss Kiss Bang Bang was working on Iron Man 3. Um, I was a, uh, I, I was really happy, and I, I I did think that the the dialogue in general in Iron Man three was kind of a cut above in terms of the snarkiness from the other movies, and then and uh, the it, that one was the first one that gave Iron Man like a proper theme song that you could whistle and all that. Um, so I, I think that was probably my that was probably my favorite maybe tailed by Guardians of the Galaxy 2 and Doctor Strange. Although, if we're stepping outside of the MCU, I think I, I loved the Spider-Verse movie. I was very impressed with that. Nice, nice. Um, thank you for sharing that, man. Um, is there anything else you would like to say about uh, superhero adaptations? Uh, sure. So I've got a... I, I've got a pre-spoiler prediction about... Um, uh, Black Widow. Uh, so I, <laughs> it's, uh, I, I know some, I know it's been pre-screened for critics already, but I have not seen it. Uh, Taskmaster is the villain or is a villain in this movie. Um, and I am calling dude looks like a lady. I, um, we, we see that character. There's a mask on it. The character never speaks. This is a or D-list Marvel villain that nobody is going to care if they, they change or if they do. It doesn't, there aren't going to be enough people to change anything. But um, so combine that with the fact that everybody needs, wants to be surprised and the fact that we've got a female lead. So there's the unity of opposites thing that, you know, the hero and the villain are kind of two sides of the same coin. So, uh, and which is, you know, why the villain and the hero often have very similar power sets. And the villain tends to be is frequently a an older uh, an older or younger relative of the same sex as the hero. Uh, 
my, I'm predicting the Taskmaster is going to be a female. I don't know if it's Florence Pugh or uh, Rachel Vice. I'm guessing Florence Pugh, but um, we'll uh, we'll find out tomorrow if I'm if I'm in the wrong on that. I mean, it is. I won't spoil it for anybody watching, man. But it it is it's on the cast. Like it's you know. Oh, is is that is that already commonly known that it's it's a, yeah. it's a I didn't know if it was commonly known, but like it's it's not it's definitely not a secret. Oh. <laughs> like they're not trying to hide it. I mean, I don't oh. want to. I, I don't want to spoil it now. I can tell you when we finish, but yeah, I can. How you know? I didn't. Yeah. I, well, you're right though. They did not blow that out of proportion. I get more for that. Like it's not like, hey, check this out because okay. Well, maybe it's meant to be. I guess it's a secret because well, people don't care to look it up either. It's not like well, it's a big. It's not a big okay. name either. It's not a big okay. name. So, but if but if I go to IMDb, I'm going to see the Taskmaster was played by such and such. I'm, I should, yeah. I mean, like I said, was okay. I knew why they were shooting it. Who it was, but like I said, it's not a big person. Like I mean, well, in circles maybe. Like it's not okay. like this person is not famous, but it just you know you've seen them. If that makes sense. Okay. Uh, I'm behind on the news then. I haven't, uh, I haven't read all the the columns and whatnot. Yeah. Well, uh, is there anything else you would like to say about this topic? Uh, I think we pretty well covered my bases. Nice, nice. Well, man, thank you so much for coming on to the show, man. Is there anything you'd like to say to your fans? And please tell them where they can follow you. Oh, <laughs> oh yes, my uh, my legion of fans. I think I've got maybe 14 followers on YouTube right now. Uh, well, all the Baker's dozen of you, thanks for watching. Um, I, so Instagram, I'm intermittently post my attempt to get into shape uh, at almost hot. I think if you just search William Woody on YouTube, you'll find me. I should be more aggressive about promoting myself there. But um, yeah, that'd, that'd be about where you find me. We're, uh, were we going to talk Suicide Squad, or have we 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 may have run out run out of time here. Uh, no, nah, I just do it in two different parts. Oh, I see. But, uh, okay, well then, uh, yeah, add me at Almost Hot on Instagram and William Woody on YouTube. Cool. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you guys for listening, and have an amazing day. <laughs>